0: Happy Sunday and welcome to the live premiere of the latest episode of the Illinois podcast, where we have engaging conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Today, I am so thrilled to have Justin Leiby as our guest, and I can't wait to delve into the data he's collected for the state of Illinois and to discuss some of his insights For those of you who are new to our podcast, we release new episodes every Sunday on YouTube, and you can subscribe to our channel to get notified when new episodes premiere. As you listen to our conversation with Justin, I encourage you to check out the description for this episode. There you'll find a link to the show notes, which include links to Justin's previous appearance on the show, and other resources that we reference during our conversation. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that the Chillinoy podcast is funded by our listeners. If you enjoy our content and are able to support us, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page at Chilanoi.net slash Patreon. Or you can go directly to Patreon.com slash whichever works. Or you can make a one-time monthly or yearly contribution of your choice at chillinoynet slash support. And if you can't support us financially, please leave a positive rating on your preferred podcast platform. Your support means the world to me. And frankly, it helps me to continue doing this show. We have several new episodes of the Chillinoy podcast available on our Patreon page right now. Some of the guests include newly licensed cannabis operators in the state of Illinois, licensed sex workers in our series on the legal sex industry, and most recently, I interviewed members of law enforcement. That's right, the police. You can stream all of that and more at patreon.com slash And without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today's show was recorded live across the street from the Business Instructional Facility in Champaign, Illinois. The BIF, as it's commonly known is a state-of-the-art facility that houses the geese college of business at the university of illinois in urbana champaign the BIF is an impressive building that boasts cutting-edge technology and innovative design features its classroom labs and study spaces are equipped with the latest tools and resources to support student learning and research but the BIF is more than just a building it's also a symbol of the importance of higher education in our society and of the critical role that institutions like GEIS play in preparing students for successful careers in business and beyond. At GEIS, students have access to world-class faculty, top-ranked programs, and a supportive community that fosters innovation and excellence. Through experiential learning opportunities, leadership development programs, and industry partnerships, GEIS students gain the skills and knowledge they need to succeed in a rapidly changing world. So, as we record our podcast today, we're reminded of the incredible value that institutions like GEIS and the Business Instructional Facility provide to our communities and to society as a whole. And I'm so honored to be here to share this moment with Justin Leiby. Justin, please reintroduce yourself to our audience. Uh, My name
1: is Justin Leiby. I'm an associate professor of accountancy at the uh, University of Illinois, Geese College of Business. Um, Among the many hats I wear here um, uh, is a role as a disruption scholar, um, which has been Sort of the a set of initiatives that have really driven me into the uh, the cannabis world um, and, and applying a data focus to help out the state of Illinois um, with its with its mission in managing the recreational cannabis market here. I guess I should say the adult use cannabis market here because that's what they actually legalized. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'll also be uh, starting um, a 12-month role as a faculty in residence at Discovery Partners Institute in um, Chicago. That's a collaboration um, between the city of Chicago the state of Illinois and the university system um, with some like, early stages of trying to set up something called the Cannabis Research Institute
0: oh cool that'll be a,
1: yeah so stay tuned to that um, we that's probably won't talk much about that this time but uh, uh, look moving forward it sh- should be some cool stuff
0: yeah no but in, in the spirit of everything I started with you can see why I'm so excited about that right I I can imagine so yeah yeah well that's really cool I'm as I said to you last time we spoke, as I kind of just led with, I'm so happy to see the embrace from higher education. And I always struggle not to make a pun regarding higher education, but um, uh, right. So it's, it, 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 you can't, it's low hanging fruit. <laughs> it's if just, you don't pick it's right it, there. it's gonna just fall on your head. It's just right there. Yeah. So um, remind folks, so you were on the podcast before, yeah. that's why I said uh, reintroduce yourself. The, just to get right to brass tacks, the you helped the state of Illinois conduct a what is it called study I'm sorry <laughs> um
1: so what we did uh I call it I just called it a diversity survey yeah um the the CRTA which is the act that legalized uh, cannabis and a cannabis market in the state of Illinois requires the cannabis regulation oversight office to collect data and report on diversity, equity, and inclusion and mm-hmm. barriers to entry um, on an annual basis. The collection of data um, that, uh, that, that we uh, really led and helped the state with um, was to be the foundation of that report. Um, there was a, a press release that went out from the um, CROO um, that's the Cannabis Regulation Oversight Office. If I say crew, yeah. Um, you had the former director um, mm-hmm. Danielle Perry, who's an amazing person. You had her on at one point. Um, I, I can talk to her. Uh, Aaron Johnson, her replacement, hopefully at some point. Yeah, um, but the uh, but the crew um, uh, is, is required to uh, provide this report. Um, once a year, they hired uh, a firm out of Peoria called the Narevu group to actually do the disparity study. Um, they'll be using some of our data and I'm sure they're going to be using some of their own stuff as well. Um, and then an important part, the part of the agreement that I get super psyched about is that we can use the data. I can use the data for more scholarly endeavors, um, to learn not just about cannabis, but about kind of organizations and society beyond
0: just cannabis. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I just want to say thank you for your time. In light of all that, I know that that it's probably uh, Uh, a busy gig.
1: Sure. Uh, You said before you had a story about Biff.
0: Oh, yeah. I've got to hear that. So um, I have what you might call a history at Biff. Um, So first of all, last time we spoke, I led and confidently said, I'm back at my alma mater, uh, the University of Illinois, because I just always wanted to be able to say that. I've, <laughs> I just thought it'd be... I've, I've always heard people say that. And I'm like, damn, that would be cool to be able to say. So uh, the the silly kid in me did it. Hello, Illinois. Today I'm returning to my alma mater, the University of Illinois, to talk to Justin Leiby. Hey, how's it going, Justin? Great. Thanks for having me. By the way, I said that confidently. That's totally not true. I've just always wanted to say, I'm back here at my alma mater. Um, it, but the truth of the matter is, I do have a little bit of a history with... Biff and and graduations. Speaking of alm, alma mater, uh, I worked for a catering company and I would serve at Biff. So no kidding, um, the little dumpster behind Biff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've smoked many joints uh, by that, <laughs> that, dumps, that dumpster. So. I'm
1: I'm happy to hear that our university
0: police did not
1: harass you during that time. <laughs> no, nope, nope, no, very nice, yeah. very nice.
0: No, in fact, uh, I did have one encounter, and they were they were just like they were cool about it. They were just like, hey man, as long as like. Gener- their approach is just like a cigarette. He's like, "Hey, you're just a little too close to the door." <laughs> I like that. Yeah, and I was trying to hear if they needed me. So
1: yeah, t- and technically, I mean, this is a quote unquote smoke-free campus. So mm-hmm. you're yeah, I think it's a little bit more.
0: I think it's a little bit more strict now than it was then. I don't think like okay. I think they had just started with the smoke-free campus, but we're talking like 2017. Got it. You know what I mean? So Got it. a little bit of a different different time then. Uh, but yeah, nowadays I'm pretty strict about it. So, but anyways, um, we're here to talk about now. Is it data from 2022, and the first time we talked about data from 2021,
1: or am I? So the first time we didn't. We only spoke in kind of generalities about the data. We didn't really th- get, get into, into a lot of the specifics. This was all submitted. You could. It's technically the 2021 diversity survey, um, even though a lot of the firms completed it in early 2022. Um, so the data is going to be mostly, um, from 2021.
0: Um, a lot of it's not going to have changed though. Okay. Um, but some of it will have obviously. Sure. Well, and I mean, it makes sense that not a lot of it would have changed because we've not seen a lot of new businesses open up. Right. No, that's exactly right. So maybe the demographics change a bit depending on if somebody went to a new opportunity or whatever, but right. Precisely. Cool. Well, I guess since we hadn't talked about some of the specific, I remember some of the things though that you had talked about, um, and maybe we can, maybe you have refined data on this, was that like there were a number of, a large number of people, maybe even a statistically significant majority of people that had identified as like LGBTQ.
1: Yeah. That was, um, uh, an early thing that, that came up. Mm -hmm. Um, we can delve into that a little bit
0: more. Sure. Um, and I don't and mean to, I was just breaking yeah. the ice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, it's a
1: uh, 20, it's uh, about 18% of the, um, so let's, uh, l- let, me just start started at, at the highest level here sure. and, um, explain just how, what we did and what the data uh, is that we're talking about. So we, um, we sent out two different surveys. Um, one went to companies and usually to somebody in the compliance department. Mm -hmm. And by the way, people who work for MSOs, compliance departments tend to be just delightful people. Like on average, I had no bad interactions with them whatsoever. But again, it's, you know, that's kind of their job is to be nice to government, (laughs) be nice to people, representatives of the government and the government itself. And I was definitely a representative of the government. (laughs) Um, so they, they, but we had, um, uh, a survey to the, to the companies themselves and then a survey that the companies um, distributed to their employees. And we got about four th- a little over 4,000 um, responses from employees in the Illinois cannabis industry. And we could compute, or I could compute, a like a response rate. So what percentage of the industry does that represent? Because we asked the companies to report how many employees they have in Illinois. Good. And yeah. the, the best that I could tell is it's, it's hanging right around 10,000. Um, and so we got about 40% nice. of the, uh, uh, of the population, which for, for purposes of like extrapolating out, like you have a subsample or you have some observation and you want to see, well, just, can I generalize that to the whole population of employees? And when you have 40%, it's a lot easier to do that than when you have 10%. Sure. Um, and so a lot of, I think a lot of what we find is, is stuff that you can say is likely true of of the population of employees um so we've got um i think i wrote this down before we got here so um 504 so there's 110 companies because some of the newer licensees answered some did not sure um and um i think it's mostly the cultivators um uh, the new cultivators uh responded because ag required them to show that they responded before giving them their license yeah um And we expect to have 100% 100 compliance, and I think we'll have 100% compliance this year, too, for folks who know what the requirement is. So 110 companies, 540 owners, 315 executives, 383 board members, and then about 4,000 employees. So um, just of the data that we're going to be talking about or anything that we'll be talking about, that's sort of where we are. And I think this has got to be one of the largest surveys of cannabis industry employees anywhere. Um, yeah, I'm not aware of a bigger one,
0: but there might, there may very well
1: be, I don't know. Sure.
0: Um, but it's one of the larger ones. Yeah. I mean, we talked to, uh, the, or I talked to, um, the, I think he's the former director of the liquor and cannabis commission, liquor and the OLCC. So it's the Oregon liquor cannabis control commission or something like that. I don't know. I'm getting caught up in the name, but he didn't have numbers to you know, to, to like you're talking about, like they've not done any studies like that. Um, and like you say, I'm not sure, or I'm not aware of any study states that have. Right. So,
1: right. It's well, and if you want to know about what types of jobs this industry is creating, which is usually job creation is usually a pretty prominent, um, justification for, you know, changing the laws. Um, that's a pretty important consideration. I would, I would wager, um, what types of employers they are, you know, you're only going to get a sense of an, of a company's, um, whether they're doing, they're, they're conducting themselves in an equitable, ethical, sustainable manner, um, by, by asking the people who work for them in some cases, you know, you can't get to measure inclusion. You know, you can't ask, a CEO. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is an inclusive organization? <laughs> Cause the CEO will feel included no matter where they are because they're sure. in charge. Um, you got, you got to ask the employees, you have to ask the employees about uh, things like the, the diversity climate, um, the, you know, st- sources of stress, um, uh, even things like compensation. Um, and then other like more sensitive information, you can't ask a company and expect to get a, a correct answer about, what percentage of your employees um identify as lgbtq plus because i don't think a company's going to ask that i'm not sure i'm not even sure if it's legal for them to ask that but <laughs> yeah. if it is i'm sure they they aren't going to right. they might have right. affinity yeah. groups things like that but that's on like a you can self select into it type of basis you're mm-hmm. probably not going to try to like start categorizing or counting the number of folks in a given group. <laughs> so the only way you can get an accurate sense of this is um is asking people. Yeah. Um so we don't necessarily I don't think we have great data on LGBTQ identification among executives, board members, owners because that was all reported by the company. Sure. But on the employee side there's no reason why someone would answer falsely right. about that. If they wanted to, if they didn't want to say anything, they could just not respond at all because mm-hmm. um, they could just skip the question. So um, but there's lots of cool, lo- yeah, yeah, lots of cool stuff in here, um, which we should probably talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, I don't, I, I don't even know where to start really. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm like,
0: not sure either. Like I say, I only brought up the, the first thing just because that's all I could think of from one of the data points that stood out. To yeah. Me, you have generally. a good memory, by the way. Thank um, you. <laughs>
1: because, because that, that was definitely one that, That came up and if you and if you asked me like big takeaways from the surveys, that would still be one of them. Like we have a very large LGBTQ population in this industry and it exceeds, you know, it's on par roughly with the LGBTQ identification of Gen Z. Mm. So Gen Z, you're looking at about 20 um, percent. But the overwhelming majority of employees in this industry are not from Gen Z. They're from, you know, from the, my my cohorts so the millennials or even the older cohorts. So Gen X and possibly even the baby boomers. Um, So it's, it's, it's a meaningful, it it at least appears to be a meaningful percentage. And when I talk to people who do research on say like organizational research on um, LGBTQ um, folks, um, the, the statement has been that, yeah, 18% seems, pretty big like that yeah. seems like a meaningful percentage yeah yeah so totally we should go um you know probably a great place to start is um ownership sure um which is something by the way the state even puts on their website
0: yeah um, and they, i think on their instagram they've got like the CROO has made some right. graphics and stuff
1: yeah i bet they i i bet they have yeah um as well they should because probably the most like in the top line finding that you're going to see people emphasizing likely as like the positive story out of this survey is that the number of um owners um like equity owners in this industry who are black has gone up significantly <laughs> uh from from the first time that they did this survey which was um, not with our help, and they collected data exclusively from the old
0: licensees, so the legacy medical providers. yeah, um, I was just about to share uh, we'll see how this works here. Um, I think this is one of the graphics that that I'm referring to um, if you're able to yeah. see uh, yeah, so that's that I would assume that's some data from your. From what you've gathered,
1: yeah, I, I imagine it's it's gotta be. Um, I remember helping um, some folks from the uh, uh, the crew um, analyze this. I can't I can't say whether it's directly how I computed it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can say this. Um, Do the little uh, proviso. Mm -hmm. Um, All of my views are my own. They do not reflect the views of any entity of the state government of Illinois or of the Geese College of Business. Um, All interpretations of the data are my own interpretations. They they can crunch it in. You know this. You crunch a data set any number of ways. You drop you know one you know you may exclude one's observation or two observations from a, one analysis and then include them in the next so the mm-hmm. things mu- you know conclusions can change like that depending on you know who's using it but sure but yeah that this is absolutely um yeah this is this is definitely where the um I'm a little surprised the state isn't making more out of this actually yeah um that frankly you're looking at the the primary push to be totally real even though you couldn't necessarily set aside preferences for ownership um uh, or any other license uh any of the license types that is specifically focused on black owners or um or any member of any given race because it would be unconstitutional but the 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 push um was even though it wasn't in the law a lot of the the legwork was done to increase black ownership and it was successful Um, And and you can say it probably should have been, given all of the historical context that we're all familiar with about um, what prohibition of cannabis did to different groups. Um, Black Americans bore the brunt of that. And, you know, we can say that for restorative purposes, that's a good thing. Um, But they did the legwork on black um, owners um, and it worked. And now it's the previous uh, uh, crew, Danielle Perry, right before she left, was saying that really we just need to now expand our priorities we need to just broaden our discussion because if we make an intentional effort towards increasing ownership in other groups or increasing representation in other ways in other groups we can do that we've shown now that this at least quote-unquote works Mm -hmm. that you can get people into the industry
0: yeah check out this one that i'm uh sharing this kind of one of the points we started with that we weren't so maybe some states have collected data
1: yeah yeah. So the, the thing, I, the, the, the big asterisk on this one is um, what we were talking about, I think before we started the, uh, the, the podcast here is um, what counts as an owner? <laughs> what does ownership mean? True. And it may be, I'd be pretty surprised if each shouldn't I'll put a place to state this a different, different way. I'd be reasonably confident that each state um uh, cat, uh, has a different definition of owner. So this is a little apples to oranges, but I, I actually believe it's probably true. You know, the the number of um, non-white owners in the Illinois industry is, we're talking over 50% at this point. Now, those are individual owners. If I... If
0: so... A little bit of context that I wanted to add to this conversation. I really wish I would have brought this up during my conversation with Justin. I didn't bring it up in the moment. So here's my opportunity to do it now. I just wanted to make it known that a number of the newly licensed cannabis companies have connections to existing cannabis companies or politically, let's just say well-connected individuals. Let me just read a few headlines. I'll post all of these articles in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. A headline by the Chicago Sun-Times, 53 pot shop lottery winners announced, including some players with deep ties to the existing industry. An article by grownin.com, August 5th, 2021, almost half of today's Illinois lottery winners are from existing cannabis companies. Another article from August 19th, 2021, the big winners in today's Illinois license lottery, existing cannabis operators. And lastly, an article from September 7th, 2021, one third of Illinois craft grow licenses went to politicians and existing cannabis companies. Last thought here, just to put some proof into the pudding, some of the first dispensary licenses to actually open doors have demonstrated these connections. We've covered this on the show in the past, but in case you didn't know, for example, the first, one of the first dispensaries to receive a social equity license in Illinois had connections to Chicago restauranteur Phil Stefani, a former police commander. And I believe there's some other connections there. Uh, there's another dispensary that recently opened up called Ivy Hall. And if I'm not mistaken, it has connections to either Verano or GTI. I'm, I get them mixed up, but the, either the Green Rose or Ivy Hall has connections or shares uh, the application shares an address with um, an individual named Matt Estep. So he's actually a former GTI employee. So the big picture that I'm trying to get you to take home is that a seemingly large number of individuals either have political connections or existing connections to the industry. This all begs the question, Is this social equity? Let's get back to the episode.
1: Um, And so that's probably better than a lot of other states. Now, where Illinois is going to suffer, as you can imagine, is if I were to, um, say, compute the enterprise value of each of those enterprises and take, well, how much market share is owned by a member of this group versus this group versus this group, it would be a lot different. A lot of the the black owners are in newer companies that are just going to be smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the MSOs um the, with yeah we can talk about this later. With the MSOs you almost can't even think about who owns them. I shouldn't say the MSOs, the publicly traded MSOs, you can't really think about who owns them because their their ownership is going to be dispersed throughout um, you know a lot of institutional in, in, investors oftentimes the, if if there are uh, retail investors um unless you're buying directly which is Never going to happen. The only like owner of record information that a um, uh, a company like Cresco or GTI is going to have is they'll know like you used uh, which brokerage you used, Mm -hmm. so they'll know like this percentage comes from um, uh, uh, Fidelity, this percentage comes from you know Vanguard or whatever else. Um, But so for those types of uh, entities, you want to be looking at the board of directors um, more more than the owners. But so the percentage, the percentage of like capital or the percentage of like the like enterprise value that's owned by um non-whites is still pretty low but that's going to change um given that we've only got probably one craft grower like new craft grower might be up and running yeah
0: uh, i think maybe two but definitely like and, one and
1: dispensaries maybe uh maybe again two or three i don't think too yeah, many
0: i don't think more than a handful yeah
1: so is, is that is that as those businesses come online, these numbers are going to change, and it'll be really interesting to see how they change.
0: Yeah, yeah, it it definitely will. Um, um, so yeah, that's a, that's all very interesting, and um, it sounds like there's about to be another lottery. Just a quick break from the numbers, uh, yeah. where they've slightly changed the only slightly changed the definition of social equity. I believe they added. Oh gosh, I know one of the categories is a victim of firearm violence, but there's okay. something else that, of course, it's escaping me right now. But um, look into that, folks. There's another lottery or, or another. Is- I guess there's going to be more licenses issued. I think in the future, and I think it'll be the final round because we're almost at the statutory limit. Believe it or not, did you did you know that? Are we we're we're at the limit? We're almost at the statutory limit. Really? Yeah, yeah. So five hundred dispensary licenses. I don't know how many craft grow licenses. There wasn't technically a statutory limit on transportation licenses, but I believe they did ultimately stop issuing new ones. So whether or not that those will ever actually be issued again, I'm not sure, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure.
1: So one, one thing that I'm, I, I hope to be able to ask in this, um, and it's really just, just a matter of if the state will approve it in the next survey is trying to get a sense of where in, the process of getting up and running a lot of these new licensees. Sure. If they're a craft grow, you know, have they, have they secured real estate? If they've, have you started building, building out? And if you mm-hmm. have, how much has been built out? Um, you know, what are your, uh, intentions for oper- for operating? Because my understanding is that if you are a craft grower, you actually don't have to grow. You can essentially operate as a, uh, what would you call it, like an infuser. You can buy um, oil on the the wholesale market Mm -hmm. and produce like that. You're not like required to do it. And probably some are going to start off that way because it's cheaper.
0: And I think you can even buy like flour and repackage it as your own, you know. Oh, Um, can you? Yeah. I'll only say that because I saw that one of the craft cultivation licensees recently announced a partnership with one of the currently cultivating licensees and they're saying that it will be, you know, their flower, but with their brand. Right. You understand? Yeah. I
1: I, know I do. That's just, it's so, can I just take a step back here? Sure. Like, you know what model would work really, really well in this? I think everybody would hate it, which might mean that it's actually pretty decent. If everyone's (laughs) unhappy, a franchise model if think about McDonald's, yeah. like McDonald's, the corporation assumes a lot of the risk for its franchisees. They have the entire supply chain negotiated and set up for you. Um, they own the land. Mm -hmm. you know, they, um, they provide the, they provide the branding and a, a basic framework for standard operating procedures. And then you can get in there as an owner, you own most of what you have. You have to give a kick a percentage back to, to the, uh, to the golden arches, but otherwise you're up and running very quickly without the type of capital, um, without the type of capital outlays that you might need if you were just the direct owner. So if you have a larger entity that may own the land and, you know, you're, um, like a franchise holder of yeah, Cresco or whatever else, you know, it's, it would be a way to get people, um, up and owning their businesses and seeing a return a lot quicker than, than any of the ways I've seen it done across the country. Um, and I made that same comment to, uh, uh, to, to others. And and usually the closer someone gets to government, the more they're just kind of like, it's like, that's not, that's a non-starter.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's something similar now. Granted, I don't know that it's on the scale that you're thinking, but, uh, so sharing my screen here, there's a company called, uh, innovative industrial properties and they own, uh, I think. Oh, cool. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six. But I think, I think that's even more like, I think they, if you click on Cresco labs, yeah, you can see they own three of their cultivation centers. A hundred percent of them, by the way. Interesting. They're leased. Uh, so they, they purchase the property, like you were saying, and then Mm -hmm. lease it back to the company acting as a source of capital. Right. Just like you're saying. Yeah. Right. So, um, um, yeah, they do business with Crisco mm-hmm. Labs, mm-hmm. Oh, GTI, Pharmacan, you name it. Now, you know, that, I, like I say, they're now, they're not the only company, uh, that does this. Uh, other companies also do this. Uh, yeah. I think it's called, um, uh, I can't think of the acronym right now for what, what those types of companies are called, but, but it's, uh. Oh, real estate investment trusts, a REIT. Oh, REIT. I was trying yeah. to think of the acronym. Yes. But anyways, we just diverged from the data uh, pretty radically, and I'm okay. <laughs> we can, we can, we can. Yeah, we do. You know, but uh, I just wanted to show you that because in case our listeners were like thinking, hell yeah, Justin, that's an awesome idea. I was I, like, oh yeah, th- I, some people are doing that.
1: I of hope of. they do because there's a lot, there are a lot of ways to do it that aren't what we're doing
0: right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think IIP yeah. interesting is uh, traded on the New York stock exchange. So they're uh, like a freaking public publicly traded company. Yeah, that's and, involved in cannabis
1: and they're not plant touching. So yeah, they, they just own the property. It's really funny. They're not plant touching, even though their, their buildings are full of plants.
0: It's really, <laughs>
1: right. It's yeah, it's a, that's an interesting one, but they're not op- there. They don't operate the buildings. They just own them and then lease them out and, Bingo. and take care of the, uh, probably to some degree, take care of the maintenance, sure. um, taxes, uh, all that other stuff. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's a better way to do it in my opinion, but, um, you know, uh, Who's to say? I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, though, um, have I showed you any of these any of these dashboards yet? I don't think so. Um, I don't Think so. So,
0: um, yeah, I'm gonna throw one up, at least throw one up. Um, just uh, oh, do I got to enable your sharing? Yeah, uh, that's um, cool. One second here. Okay, you should be able to share. I think. Okay.
1: So. Um, one of the things that we, we did, um, and, and so just as part of the research that I do or my students who are working with me might do, um, it's just, you know, capturing some of this data and, and, and transforming it into something that might be useful for the state or somebody observing the, uh, the industry. And this is just a really like high level, um, number of owners like, so, um, uh, and then, you know, what percentage of these owners, um, fall into certain categories, really. Um, you can see like here, the, the, the industries, no matter where the industry is in terms of, uh, race, it's still behind in gender. Um, ownership is, uh, is, is primarily, um, male. Um, but you can see in this one now, now there's a couple of caveats on, on this because, of the data that the students used, but you can see that the percentage the percentage of total owners and this is just raw owners it's not this isn't accounting for their uh weighting it by their ownership share but you can see the the ownership um i, had, I for some reason I had remembered this as being um a little over fifty percent um non white and a little under fifty percent white and um i I might just be um misremembering that Um, or it might be sliced and diced in a a slightly different way but you can see you know the percentage white in terms of ownership it's not it's a little lower than the state average you know the state is about 65 percent white i think 60 to 65 so this is right on um, basically, right, right on where you'd expect it to be. Um, you know, the black percentage is a little bit higher than its um, uh, th- than than the state. Um, and and really, if you want to talk about representation at this point in terms of ownership, it also applies to em- to employees. Um, really, underrepresentation right now is among Hispanics and Asians. Um, and and we can talk about the Asian uh, uh, f- thing uh, uh, throughout the the call here because that's, that's the strangest. I don't want to say strange. The it's a it's quite striking that when you look at a, a whole bunch of different groups as identifying in a variety of different ways, but if you look at those who identify as Asian, um, on average, it's they're underrepresented among employees, underrepresented among executives, underrepresented among boards, underrepresented among owners, and when you look at employees and like their satisfaction with their jobs. Like generally Asians are just lower than everybody else. And it's a, it's a strange thing. I don't know if it's just because maybe I'm picking up a small number of companies or a small like group that may like associate with each other. Like if there are certain types of employees, maybe working in labs and they might work in different companies, they might associate with each other. I don't know if like everybody, for some reason, everybody in that group seems to be, uh, not so pleased to be in the industry. So if there's one place to work for the industry, uh, maybe it's, uh, in, in increasing representation and inclusion of, um, of, of Asians, uh, and, and, uh, and really to a lesser degree, but still important here is, uh, his Hispanics. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, I mean, I think the Hispanic population in the state is about 18%. Um, and here you can see the minimum owners, we're talking about seven. Um, and I can pull, uh, Uh, the board of directors are supposed to be on here somewhere. I can pull up executives as just one example. Um, And yeah. Yeah, there's so much in here. It's hard for me to even remember. Yeah. Um, If we take out the NAs. Sorry. The state wanted me to take out the NA values here. Oh, hold on a second. There we go. There we go racial distribution among, among, uh, exec- So this is executives. So C-suite executives, we're not at owners anymore. You can see it's, it's essentially the same thing about three quarters male, um, whites about 60% blacks, a little over 20% and then Hispanics and Asians. Um, pretty low Yeah, middle east north african that's this is a small sample you can see this is six people makes a big difference in a small subset so Mm -hmm. yeah i I wouldn't go as far as saying middle eastern north african is overrepresented so much as it just happens to be there are six people yeah but um you know hispanic should be about three times higher than that and and it it would be less concerning if it were it would be less uh, striking if it wasn't in every single category so you know it's just a that's just uh, uh, something something to to think about um, as we move forward. You know the the industry it's it's absolutely getting more diverse at the higher levels, um, but it's that increasing diversity is still uneven um, in 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 terms of which group we're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure with you know like you just said with a low number like that, it's hard to. I don't want to say get meaningful data, but frankly, you know, just, you, you don't have a lot of numbers there.
1: So you, Yeah. You got to be careful about over-interpreting, um, what, uh, like over-interpreting
0: sure. a, a, a,
1: a small sample like that. Um, because you know, you're at, when we're at like five, five you percent, know, if that's, you know, just a, a small handful of people, that's not really gonna yeah. be all that meaningful. Um, yeah. but you know, it's, it's better than nothing
0: in terms of the data. I'm just pulling up
1: the board of directors here since the board, the board is for anybody. Like if your listeners like want to take anything out of, uh, out of this, uh, podcast, I I, I hope they take out that for publicly traded cannabis companies. If you really want to talk about like, it's hard to talk about diversity of ownership. Um, but you can monitor, The diversity of the board of directors which is the the governing body that is appointed to represent the shareholders so regardless of what the the shareholders may look like and a lot of them are going to be institutional investors anyway um regardless of what they look like what really matters is who are they choosing to represent them Mm -hmm. and you know keep a check on management which is supposed to be what they do yeah and i bet if i were to look up I'll take a look right now, and say, yeah, it's here. I'll I'll put this back up just so you sure. can see it. Um, this uh, so this dash this particular dashboard. And here. for folks
0: that are listening, it's slash video if you're wanting to watch the video version to watch what we're seeing.
1: Yeah. So the board of directors, as you can see, again, it's the same. It, it's 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 pretty. It becomes more and more uh, uh, safe to start making generalizations if each of these categories is lining up in the same way if owners executives board members are all three-quarters male more or less one-quarter female we can say yeah it's it's overrepresented in males and if if it seems to always be like about 60% um, white in this case, it looks like the board is maybe a little less diverse than the other groups. Um, so that's that's something to watch, um, because in some ways it doesn't matter who, who the who owns the company; it's who's um, kind of controlling it and uh, steering it towards its purposes. Because we can't really monitor who owns, you know, which shares of, of Cresco. But you can see in each case, it's you know, whites are clearly going to be represented very health very healthily, um, blacks actually are approaching somewhere near what their percentage is in of the state population hispanics and asians again on the board side just like executives and owners are again underrepresented um and there may be cultural reasons to that the um, roman catholic um, traditions which are not cannabis friendly um, asians among employees we could break it down um, into, I hate saying it like this. What type of Asian are you? That's, I hate saying it like that, but it's, you know, it's, it, we're, if we say Asian, we're we're categorizing a lot of, a lot of people a, into the it's same. A it's a big, it's a big category because yeah. we're clumping, uh, uh, folks from, you know, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh in with Vietnam, Laos in with Korea, in with China, in with the Philippines. It's all, we're kind of all painting with a very broad brush and that's, um, you know, I, I, I'd I say East Asian cultures, at least my friends and colleagues uh, tell when I ask about this type of effect, they say, yeah, that's a cultural thing. Right. Like if you, you'd you probably find that the ne- the most negative like perspectives or maybe the least satisfied employees are those who may be Chinese or Korean or Japanese, maybe not so much the Indian or Pakistani um, for whom they're uh, the, the cultural acceptance of cannabis is a little bit uh, higher. Than it is in East Asia where apparently it's really fucking low. Sorry about that. <laughs> no. Sorry. sorry for the sorry for the uh, colorful language but I, I think c- culture probably has something to do with it but if you you know we're, we're we're at least at a point where the um industry the upper echelons look a little more like the state that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um now I've heard some folks justifiably including someone from the crew I can't remember who it was saying we don't necessarily want our the upper echelons to look like the state. We want it to look like the demographics of those who were negatively affected by the war on drugs. Sure. And so, and then, and then sure, and then that, that means that we probably do want a larger percentage of, of blacks because they have borne a disproportionate uh, share of the harms. And Asians, um, much less so. So maybe, maybe this is all, you know, this is above our pay grade about whether yeah. this is all acceptable or not. But the only way we can have honest conversations about where the industry is where it could go what's good what's bad and what's just maybe a thing the only way we can do it is if we have data and that's that's where that's my push like my uh, on a lot of these things i'm kind of agnostic but on the need for data you can't be because otherwise we're just guessing
0: right and you can't just speculate on some of these things like you say you get And if you ask, if you were to ask the CEO, the different, the answer could be and probably would be much different than when you actually ask people on, for lack of better words, the front lines. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly.
1: Um, so, um, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Now that, that being said, we focused so far a lot on those upper echelons to like where, where I get like, and that's where like the state is mostly excited about, like they want to know just how many owners with more than a 5% share are there? Mm-hmm. Like how, like how many official board of director members are there of companies who operate in our, in our state's industry? Um, they, they like hearing that. I mean, I get super psyched about the employee data because yeah, there's probably because there's so much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because I think there's just so little known, um, about what it's like and you see like social media (laughs) social media is not going to give you a representative uh uh, view it's going to it's going to give you the extremes
0: sure like that's what it's designed to do (laughs) yeah it's it's
1: designed to do that and it's and 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 that's good and you know if you if you watch social media you'd say every single like legal cannabis company is like horrible to work for Mm -hmm. it's just an awful evil company and of course that's not true some of them probably are awful yeah. and evil and some of them probably um are actually pretty good can i do a plug for an individual company this is the only one i swear Dude. to you and i swear to everybody who's listening this is the only time i will mention an individual company but it's because they came out looking so well in this survey okay. from how they how satisfied their employees were how included their employees felt how um Low the the likelihood was that their employees would want to search for another job because we measured that as well. Um, it's Maple Glen Care Center in Rockford.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, they are I I, I loved I I'd love to chat with someone from there yeah, because it's just a
0: dispensary. Or?
1: Um, I believe they're just a dispensary. I could okay. I could look that up while while we're here. Um, but they just. I mean, it's not to say that other companies didn't come out looking great as well, but I'll, I'll show you. Some, I'll just throw some stuff up here. Sure. Um, Easy, easily done. Just look at like inclusion and job satisfaction. You can plot where all the companies are and like <laughs> that one just shows up great. So not to reveal much about any company, but that one's a good, like a positive thing. So I don't think anybody will be too, too mad about that. They sure. come out really, really well.
0: Yeah. So one of the things you, you we, we were talking about before we went on air was like, you just mentioned the state and like wanting to talk about the ownership numbers and stuff. What, like, what is the deal with that? Like, is it, are they pretty like, is it easy to look at the owners or like, cause I, I, like I was telling you, I was under the impression that it's like under locked doors and you know, even some people have tried to request to see it, but they can't. So like, what's your experience been like?
1: So I've not, I've never seen the formal data that companies reported in their application okay so there's that yeah um and and i don't and is it under lock and key my guess is yes if i had to take a wild guess um my guess is it's not in a particularly easy to compile format either and so the the difficulty in accessing it might be less about secretive and more about it's just it's it's the systems of the state and the the way the data is structured. It's probably not easy. Um, the so a second point is that in the state of Illinois, there's this um, there's this uh, concept of um, a principal um, officer, yeah, uh, and and that's usually what the st- what the uh, companies are reporting to the state. But a principal officer is anybody if i'm remembering correctly it's anybody with more than a five percent ownership anybody on the board and anybody who's um an executive officer Mm -hmm. so you can kind of see that principal officer definition which is usually what the state uses and what they have companies really thinking about as being the key metric that includes more than just owners so there's also just the problem of are owners being separated appropriately from non-owners who might qualify as principal officers? Yeah. Because um, a CEO may not own the, any of the company, but they are a principal officer for for purposes of the state. Um, so it, to answer your, that's a long-winded way of saying, uh, yeah, I think this, the data is under lock and key, and I have no idea what the actual data says. Gotcha. Um, but that's, unfortunately, that's kind of what you get in government sometimes. Their systems just aren't where they should, where not like since say where they should be where we'd like them to be.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I, that question is born out of like, I was just interested since it sounded like, you know, some of this data was possibly used. Um, the spirit of that question is totally like wh- I mean, when we were legalizing Heather stains and uh, representative Cassidy both said they were going to make this ownership data transparent and they ultimately never did. Hmm. the The language stayed the same. Uh, and and just by the way, um, people that have pushed to keep it secretive claim that they have concerns about people knowing that. Now, whether you can take that however you want, but the right. way that they pitch it is federal you know back back when this first started in 2014 is much different world than we are today like right the coal memo had just been a thing and for folks right. that are i'm not just saying my own name uh <laughs> google the coal memo and you'll the coal memo you but, should have uh, a coal memo yeah so we have
1: should. So that could be if you ever have a newsletter it should be the coal memo
0: i'm taking it i love <laughs> you it <do> <laughs> i've been looking for something there there we go seriously no i've been I'm gonna credit you when we, when I use you that. You don't you don't even have to. Just steal it and say it was your idea. <laughs> okay. So, but anyways, back then in 2014, it was a different world, and they were possibly worried about federal intervention. Right. So you could almost like get that perspective. Yeah, but I nowadays, could totally see that in 2014. Nowadays, like the way I looked at it, and I think I was telling you before we went on air, there's a reporter from the Illinois Press Association, and they're just like, look, you look at industries like gambling and whatever whatever other privileged industry you want and if that stuff's under lock and key mm-hmm. there's just room for things to happen it's oh absolutely <laughs>
1: absolutely so to defend the representative and the state senator and i'll i'll, I'll say i'm going to defend them Which, because oh, so, uh, uh, heather Steins and, and kelly and cassidy, cassidy yeah I mean, number number one, Kelly Cassidy is is married to the good Gingrich, so I'll give her credit for that. Um, she's a yeah. She's yeah. a she's a constant punking of Newt Gingrich, which is which is fantastic. But no, to defend them a little bit, just because they um, they helped legalize weed in the state, and I mm-hmm. that to me that that deserves a, a, a lot of credit, guys. I, I watched some of the shit they had to hear people say in the floor debate, and it's. That you could like keep yourself patient and like, yeah, like contained when that idiot, uh, was it DeLuca, like brought the egg and frying pan? Mm -hmm. Good
0: lord. I want to leave an image for you. You see this? This is your brain. There it is, folks. This is your Brain on Drugs. So today, for my family, for my children, for your families, your children, and especially, and especially for African American and Hispanic communities, vote...
1: Um, Anyway, they may not have considered the liability concerns as it surrounds personally identifiable information. You can disclose people's names about certain things, but there's also some things you can't disclose. Um, As a researcher, I only know a small percentage of it. I know what what I can report, what I can't report, what I can ask, what I can't ask, and what I have to inform people about that... You know, if I'm going to report their name, for example, or um, their address or really anything related to that, that could potentially identify them or what they said, how they responded to a question or an item, uh, I have to inform them as a researcher that I plan to report it. Um, I don't know how it works in law um, and, and particularly as it applies to the state of Illinois, but they may there may be certain legal constraints on disclosing some of the people's names. Um, you know, they may have been well intentioned, but may just not have known the the constraints. You, you gotta love it. It's it's how it, it's how this whole freaking world works. You know, there's you want to do. We want to get this fantastic new drug treatment up and running, and it's for a disease that's killing like thousands of people a day. But oh wait, we have to get the FDA to approve it first. There's like, it, that's an extreme example, but it's just there. There may be some things in place. Um, but yeah, I don't know of any place where the the uh like names attached to ownership percentages would be um now they did the respondents to the survey did submit they were asked um compliance wasn't 100 percent on this one they were asked to submit just the list of names of their owners mm-hmm. and, and 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 the reason that that's a, that, that is kind of okay in terms of identifiable information is that it's not linked to anything Like we had no, we didn't ask for their ownership percentage, any demographics, literally anything. We just asked for their names. Um, And, you know, that data, I'm certain that we could never publicize that. Um, My, I mean, I would like to do a networks analysis on it uh, and probably will at some point. But yeah, the data... as a whole the state could do a lot better getting data out in front of people and I and there are people in the government who I know agree with that
0: and that's what I was gonna say is that like I've talked to David Lakeman at the Illinois Department of Agriculture Good guy. manages yeah you, you so you know him but for folks that are listening he's the head of the cannabis division at the Illinois Department of Agriculture yep um, and we talked about this exact subject. And in fact, we actually talked about innovative industrial properties because I asked, and it's kind of back to a proposal we've talked about with Shalene. She's said, don't limit the number of licenses, which can be issued, which we've done that, but, uh, limit the number of licenses, which any entity can hold, which we've also done, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's why, for example, when Cresco acquired Columbia care, right they had to make a divest divestiture statement. It's hard to say that word. Um, because they then would have over over the number of dispensaries they were allowed. Mm-hmm. And so I like those provisions. I like the idea of those provisions. Again, we talked about how maybe they're impossible to enforce in practice, but I like them because they would keep any one player from getting too big. Right. In theory. Um, but it requires people to be able to actually check that right right and so this is an example where it's like one entity clearly owns more than three cultivation centers i mean the 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 iip they they say they own a hundred percent of i mean more than three so it's like how does that play into the law and he didn't have a answer for me but what he did say to your point is that the state relies on people like myself and others that that ask those questions so that they can look into those things and so my question has always been like if that's the case because even chalene's told me that like regulators rely on the public to to say these things so that they can look into they them. Do. i'm like all right if that's the case why don't you let us help you and make the data open but i get what you're saying there's uh implications yeah they do
1: they, they do seek out advice from folks and you could so cole I know we're getting away from the data, but sure. this, is, this, is, this is totally fine. You, you edit this after the fact. Anyway, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Honestly,
0: <laughs> mostly keep it free flowing. Yeah, so,
1: but, yeah, uh, yeah you're, the, you're the dictator here. Um, but anytime you put a bright line standard in place, you are inviting manipulation. You're, you're just inviting an arms race. As, as an accountant, um, there are two big examples of this, the, the, the tax code. Especially the corporate tax code, which is a disgraceful collection of carve-outs, spe- special rules, um, You know, bright line standards, 5% of this, 6% of that, 10% of that. You, you, any, anytime you um, create a way for people to structure their activities um, in order to meet a, a paper standard as opposed to in order to run their business in the best way, mm-hmm. um, or provide the best information. Um, it's, it's always, there is always going to be a, an arms race towards manipulation and, and, and I don't want to say evasion cause I'll say avoidance because in taxes it's mostly avoidance. Um, they're perfectly legal things that right. companies can do. Um, but it results in them paying no taxes.
0: Thank you for bringing that up because it's a main point of a movie about the Panama Papers. The the movie ends with saying like, yeah, when you commit these crimes, it's called tax evasion. Or when you do this, it's called tax evasion. And that's a crime. When I do it, it's called tax avoidance and it's business smart. That's exactly (laughs) right. So where
1: did these ideas come from? Where most ideas about money come from? The United States of America. In the late 19th century, the state of Delaware realized it could not attract a business the same way New York and New Jersey could. So Delaware began writing corporate friendly tax laws, hoping to lure more business. And it worked. 1209 North Orange Street in Wilmington, Delaware is home to 285,000 companies, and none of them are paying state taxes. The director of this movie has five. Even even our writer has one. (laughs) But if Delaware could do it, why couldn't uh, Switzerland or Luxembourg and uh, Hong Kong and the British Virgin Islands? You are probably wondering, is this legal? Hmm? Yes, this is called tax avoidance. Now, tax evasion is a crime. Uh, but that's avoidance. That's what put us in business and the line between the two, we like to say. It's as thin as a jailhouse wall. Yeah, poor people are crazy, rich people are eccentric. <laughs> there's there, there's a double standard that exists and it's not unique to cannabis at all. Sure. But anytime you try to set up a system of standards, um, that the more rules you have, the more provisions you have the more you're inviting manipulation avoidance game playing and you know I my personal view on that is yeah and you kind of deserve it because if just because you are a government regulator doesn't mean you run the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) and doesn't make you almighty and if you pass a, a rule Or a law that you are incapable of enforcing then that's on you not not on not on anybody else um you know so if if you're saying oh well we can't have this many more you know an, an individual or entity can't own more than five licenses well what if they create a special purpose entity with six with with six other people does that count you know if if you're a regulator and you're not prepared for all the various ways in which they're going to try to evade your standards then make simpler regulations or just stop complaining about 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 the uh um the avoidance now in yeah. illinois I, I i shouldn't say that david uh i'll give him a little bit of a credit because his uh this is david lakeman at, yeah. uh, at at agriculture and really uh aaron johnson um and in the, the the crew office and others the regulators in illinois i think relative to other states are a little more constrained in their ability to operate because so many of the standards and rules governing the industry were are set out in the law itself in the crta so in order to change it you have to change the law david can't change the law he's got to operate like he can't change the 40 percent rule even if he wants to he Mm -hmm. couldn't decrease it increase anything else that will require an act of the legislature and as we know that usually means it's not going to
0: change well and that's uh Another thing that you might be aware of that a lot of people ask, and I even directly asked him about is like, could, cause craft cultivators want to open up at 14,000 square feet. They don't want to do right. the, cause statutorily, as you say, the law says you can open with 7,000 yep. and there's a structured way in which you can tear up. And some people are like, look, we want to open up at 14,000. That's what our investors want. We can't get the investment dollars unless we open with 14,000. And he's like, "I hear you, but this is the way the statute reads, right, so to your point, yeah, I, it's not like he doesn't exactly. wish he could maybe wave a wand and make it right,
1: out of and in a lot of states, you can mm-hmm. someone in his position in in a bunch of other states would be able to have some input into the rule that he's enforcing, yeah, and in his case, he's simply administering it um yeah, on that yeah i've I've actually offered to do a break even analysis. To to really figure out whether or not companies can operate profitably at that fourteen thousand square foot limit, um, and I, I don't I, I, without knowing without having looking without looking at any numbers, I can't say whether they can or can't. But yeah. the, again, start at start was it start at five or start at seven? I can't even remember what, where the starting
0: point is. I think it's sev- five or seven. Yeah, I'm not sure.
1: You set up a Somewhere rule of you start at five or start at seven or whatever, and then you get to increase. 3,000 square feet if you do this, 3,000 square feet if you do that, 3,000 square feet. Just make it 14,000 square feet. Yeah. If that's what you actually are saying is the bottom line, then just make it 14,000. We are undersupplying our legal market anyway, yeah. which I believe I've seen you say a couple of times on this podcast and other <laughs> yeah, episodes. Yeah. yeah, We we the issue is we don't have enough supply. We need to have more mm-hmm. cannabis legally grown in the state. That's what will bring the price down. That's what will ultimately allow us to do the types of things we need to do. Yeah. Um, and when I say price will come down, yeah, the price will come down, and, but the quantity sold is going to go way up.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we we should definitely get back to the idea of production and stuff like that, but I don't yeah. want to break too far from the numbers. Oh, yeah, this is um,
1: We're going to be all over the place. Yeah. I, that's
0: Hey, that's I, the I, magic I, of this um, show. Yeah. That's why I love, by the way, thank you for setting aside the time because... I love that we can have long-form, nuanced conversations where we can kind of bounce around like this. Yeah, people enjoy it. So. I
1: well, I'm I'm glad that that folks um, that folks do enjoy it. Um, there's one item here that I think we, I, I, I yeah, we'll we'll get back to it. I hope. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I've got all these indicators because one of the things we asked um, of of every group we asked. Um, just about the criteria for, uh, qualifying as quote unquote social equity. So we asked about things like previous, uh, cannabis arrests. Um, do you live in a disproportionately impacted area or does, uh, um, what is it? You live, do you live in one now or have you lived in one for five of the past 10 years? (laughs) And then, and then do your majority of your employees live in these places, such and such. Um, we got some of that. I'll have to just, uh, cue it up, um, and, and take, and take a look at it. Um, but yeah, the, from, from, from the, the higher echelons, like there's, it's moving in the right direction, probably not as fast as anyone would like.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, not as fast, <laughs> <laughs> not as, fast as I would like, you know, but Hey, I get that there are other competing things, right? Yeah. There, Cannabis isn't the only thing that, there are. that we're working on right now. Right. As it's, much as I'd like it to be.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be awesome? Well, actually, no. Actually, I I, I gotta say, it it would be... In theory, it'd be great if the government would be working on cannabis all the time, but given, (laughs) given what government does chances are it would just make things so much worse.
0: <laughs> True. Like yeah. it just it's like
1: take your average, <laughs> like <stay away. laughs> yeah, your average, like Republican congressman and, and think, okay, let, let, I do not want them thinking about cannabis at all. Actually, I'd pre- almost prefer they never think about it because when sure. they do, stupid shit comes out of their mouths. So maybe we just, uh, we let, let well enough yeah. alone
0: here. When they start talking about cannabis, they start bringing eggs into the uh, general assembly. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that was a Democrat. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah. The most buffoonish opposition from, to, to the CRTA in Illinois actually came from DeLuca and um, Marty Moylan. Um, who, uh, also known as a sex toy salesman.
0: Oh, um, nice. uh,
1: that was his, hey. uh, yeah, I, 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 I remember, the insult, uh, just to, to, just to like troll him when he was comment on anything on social media, he had to troll him at the time. Um, but yeah, he's a Democrat from up in the Chicago suburbs somewhere. Okay. But he, him and, uh, DeLuca were the two bad ones.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, I don't mean to jump to this question if if you have other things, but I was curious, what do you think, we we kind of talked about different ways, and we've touched on this question a little bit, but what do you think the industry or state, rather, since it's driven, as we just talked about, it's very much statutorily driven, Right. if we wanted more licenses, we would have to pass a law for that, or I guess the disparity in demand study could, it sounds like end up with the CR, CRO I get I from what I read that could end up saying like hey perhaps we need more licenses like that suggestion could come out of that yes but right. I don't know that that would necessarily it's not like that would just make it so you know what,
1: what the disparity study allows there's a couple things it allows to do the my understanding that one of the more important things it allows the state of Illinois to do is it can actually provide concrete evidence of discrimination or exclusion, which will allow formally the state to formally specify groups that are being discriminated in a statute. Yeah. So rather than this, this broad um, uh, uh, catch all kind of it, it right now, it seems it's pretty much the case that anybody who's not a white guy counts in Illinois and maybe that maybe that's the way it should be i have no idea um i'm kind of neutral on that um but if there is evidence that group a and group b and group c are being discriminated against in this industry the state can then target whatever um you know whatever preferences might be put in place to those groups so in order to 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 build those preferences into uh into a statute you need to have that level of of evidence and and at the time the crta was passed it just wasn't there Um, so like my understanding is that's like for the industry, that's what they really want to see. Um, they're, they've been remarkably cooperative with this, uh, data collection effort because I, I I believe some of them, and then at least publicly speaking, they'll say publicly, you know, they want to help the state set aside, you know, licenses for the groups that are formally being just that, that we can show are being discriminated against, um, and, you know, whether like what, what the, what they'll find in that report, I have no idea, but, yeah, um, hopefully it'll, it'll come back to that.
0: This is what I was thinking. I would, had to pull up the language of the law. I'll share this, uh, on our screen here sure. really quick. Um, not exactly what I was thinking of, but this is what I was referring to. So the findings and recommendations from the disparity and yep. availability study, um, can be used to reduce or eliminate any identified barriers, int- barriers to entry in the cannabis industry. And one of the things I was thinking of, but I, it's not exactly as I recalled it, it, they could, they could modify or change the application process yep. to reduce or eliminate barriers identified in the disp- in the study. So yep. kind of interesting.
1: Yep. That is that, that is as far as I understand it, that's the primary purpose of the disparity study yeah to sort of refine the law and ma- and and target enforcement target regulation towards where it would be most consistent with the the spirit of legalizing and reducing barriers to entry now we all know there's only so much that the state can do to reduce barriers to entry because the biggest one is money sure and sure. and uh you know that's that that's a tough one <laughs> yeah that's a tough one
0: what do you so what do you think um what do you think the industry could do or like i said the state really because that's what it comes down to the, what, what, what could, they, state what could do? they do to become to make the cannabis industry more diverse and equitable more diverse and
1: equitable um well i'll throw out this one i don't home grow Sure. But um, uh, they, 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 we should legalize home grow for adult use purposes. Yeah. Um, obviously, right now you can only uh, home grow uh, if you're medical. Um, now, I don't know how, what the enforcement is like, but that's not finally the point. The, right. So that, that's kind of an obvious one. The, and that's not going to make the industry more equitable, but that will make the entire cannabis domain more equitable. If you can just, if you want it, you grow it.
0: Right. Um, And it would arguably end the criminalization of cannabis, which is the need for equity, right? Right. Like the, (laughs) that's, what's funny is we talk about the disproportionately impacted groups. It's like, what were they disproportionately impacted by? Was it the policies Maybe we should end those policies, right, and so that the right. cycle doesn't continue. Well, right. I'm so glad you led with home Grow.
1: We're trying to, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're trying to undo the harms of the war on drugs so while I'll still fighting the war on drugs. <laughs> isn't it, isn't it, isn't it freaking great? Yeah. Um, and that's that's why home Grow is illegal here. Like, it's, I see on social media, oh, the MSOs lobbied against it. Fuck you. The the MSOs didn't lobby against it. The cops threw a fit. We all, if you were paying attention, we all saw them. Like, there were stupid comments like, well, if we're in a house um how are we going to know if this plant is for medical or not well it's like number one they have a card mm-hmm. and number two probably more importantly what the fuck are you doing in the house to begin with officer like, right is, well um, one I, of the I, things i don't care
0: one of the things that i think representative cassidy or senator Staines fielded was somebody saying well if the point of legalization is to you know regulate these products and to make sure the potency is in check and stuff these home growers could could supercharge their weed. And she was like, you it's, there's really a limit to what you can do. <laughs> it's not like they're going to be growing like nuclear, nuclear weed. Nuclear weed. Yeah. It's half
1: plutonium, half cannabis at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Geez. Yeah. The super, yeah, supercharged weed. That's a, a favorite of, um, our prohibitionist
0: friends. Yeah. Now I will say that PharmaCan, Columbia care, Virio. Um, gosh, there are some other names here. They didn't do it in New York, but they did it in 20 or sorry. They didn't do it in Illinois, but they did it in 2019 in New York. In New York. Yep. They did lobby against home grow. Uh, it as part of a New York medical cannabis industry association. And it's a bunch of bull, bunch of stupid reasons. Oh yeah. But, uh, I've seen
1: this statement
0: columbia care etane Pharmacan, the botanist acreage i mean these are a lot of companies that are in illinois so yep. i think that's where they're that, not the
1: biggest ones in illinois but they are they right. are here
0: right now here's my thing about the companies i hear what you're saying yeah. that law enforcement definitely led the charge in fact i just for the very first time i interviewed I a member of law enforcement. i, have, I, didn't, I didn't hear it yet but that sounds like a fun and one. he talked about he was you know listening to what the sheriff's association had to say exactly what you said, like what you remember is exactly right. That was happening. They led that charge, but here's my problem. While those cannabis companies may not let have, have been holding hands with the police. They certainly weren't. I don't feel like being vocal enough about why this is an issue.
1: You know what I mean? Oh, they weren't fighting back hard enough. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, they weren't fighting. back.
0: Some of them will say, cause we've, We've even been the people who'll be like, look, these companies they lobby against home grow, and Cureleaf has reached out to us specifically, and it's been like, look, we support home grow, but we support limitations on home grow. It's like, here's my thing: whatever your stance is on home grow, I would love to, I would just want them to make more. Like, if you're going to be a cannabis company and you're yeah. going to like be that leading the charge please lead the charge for the cannabis community right that's i just feel we're lacking in that yeah
1: since we're in this realm right now since we're just since we're just going on tangents i'm just going to follow this down the tangent let's Let's talk (laughs) about home grow um yeah it 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 should be like it should be legal there's no like of, of all the activities that have and the reason it's not legal is again it's 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 the cops and it is the backwards thinking that people have about cannabis in our society. Home grow is imposes the absolute lowest cost on society of any type of cannabis purchase consumption mm-hmm. pattern you can imagine. It is somebody growing their own shit in their own home to consume for the most part in their own home or the homes of others who are. Uh, who are their friends or colleagues or associates associates in some way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like that, that imposes almost no cost on society. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond like, yeah, you know, there's no, there's no issues of, there's no marketing to kids. If you're not marketing anything, you sure as hell can't be marketing it to kids.
0: And yep. Exactly. Um, there's
1: no, um, now, we'll go down that path. Like the idea that the cannabis industry is marketing to kids sure. is so fucking stupid. Like <laughs> it's
0: like, I, it's yeah. I, it's unbel- all based on like, uh, and so they'll say like, it's the can it's candy. It's marketed to kids. Are adults not allowed to enjoy candy. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's like, exactly right. So <laughs> like, I didn't realize that Skittle that I was like, not supposed to be allowed to purchase Skittles. Right. Like, like I didn't realize that.
0: And let's just, I know that, there was an outcry when Michelle Obama tried to push our children to be healthier.
1: <laughs> How dare she?
0: Is candy, candies for children. Candies yeah, that's for exactly, children. that's exactly right. That's what we're saying. That's is exactly it, it's right. Totally okay <laughs> for them to market towards children. Like maybe we should actually have laws against the people that fucking market sugar.
1: Well, that's. I'm just saying. That's a, if you're, <laughs> if you're only judging on the harms to society. Right i i'd say sugar is should be in the crosshairs probably I'd say tobacco is probably number one everybody's at the kids table next yeah. to tobacco um and i actually uh, form i oppose like all these idiotic restrictions on tobacco smoking i do too i want to be i was gonna and say like, i want
0: to be very clear i don't think prohibition like, works no it we learn the lesson with cannabis yeah alcohol so let's not it's weird to see some countries in the UK there and I read California is considering like setting an age at which (laughs) yeah you you know like it's like a like it would be like you know so kids born would never have the chance to ever legally purchase cigarettes there'd be like you'd be grandfathered in to buying cigarettes depending on your age (laughs) and I'm just like what is the point because all it's going to end up in frankly is just another black market yep and I mean
1: there already is a black market for yeah. yeah, so let's just make it bigger. Um, and so
0: to to that point, that kind of wraps back around to our home grow people, and it's like you got to stay in the pocket. Like you said, people will say bring up either advertising, or they'll say that home grow is going to lead to you know an unregulated supply chain, and it's like no, 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 we're not talking about. I'm not talking about like home growers just growing for everybody and anybody I'm talking about home grow for personal use should not be a crime. So let's not get it twisted and like, correct. Stay in the pocket here. We're not talking about, you know, should I be able to, if you were my neighbor trade my bounty, just like I do with tomatoes. Absolutely. But there becomes a point in scale where like, think about anything, you know, I could have you over for a dinner, but if I'm catering to the graduates, I probably need a food license yeah you do so it's like scale sure right it's, and i'm all for
1: everything like, it's like how many chickens can you keep in your backyard a lot of places will allow you to keep a certain number of chickens in your backyard you just can't have an industrial chicken operation <laughs> in your backyard and like and yeah they set bright line they they set a state like a, a limit for that, and you just you can do it with chickens and everything else. You can do it with cannabis. It's mm-hmm. it's not that hard.
0: And so, I I'm curious what you think about since we're just having fun and going everywhere, um, just in the the spirit of more diverse and equitable, making it more diverse and equitable. Like I said, the commissioner for Oregon didn't have the numbers right but what he told me was he said i bet you cole that our numbers are better than illinois because of how we started with the open licenses." oh right yeah and you know you talk about barriers to entry they made it as simple as like you pay for a license you get a license now the question becomes and this is the critique and i'm talking from david lakeman um and others that support how we and I'm not saying that David Lakeman supports how he did it. He has to just enforce yeah. how, how it is, but we were just having an open conversation about the different approaches, open licensing and limited licensing. And this is the concern I always hear from either a regulator or for just from just people that oppose open licensing. And, and that is something you mentioned earlier, the price naturally and inevitably falls and they see that as a problem. And uh, and if you look at the purpose of equity, it's so that they so that disproportionately impacted people could create intergenerational wealth. How do you do that? You limit licenses. You keep prices artificially high. Exactly. You know what I'm saying. The license, in
1: order to be a, a an engine for intergenerational wealth or anything else, the license has to be worth something.
0: Yes, and that's actually a thank you for saying that. Not only the product. To to value to artificially inflate the value of the product, but if the li- if all else fails, I want to be able to sell my to license, sell your license. For a number exactly.
1: For that, yeah. That's exactly right. I yeah, it's it's a balance. That's a balancing act. If if people now, I don't care about the black market I, that it exists or doesn't. That that's irrelevant to me. Um, I don't think it should be a pr- the way the legal market kind of destroys the illegal market is if it provides better prices and services and better products and then and then then suddenly people won't be using the black market like uh, that i'm yeah so i yeah but if if for those who think that the black market being an issue you know oregon weed is everywhere like they got they got so much damn diversion to the black market it's it's not even funny and Mm -hmm. and i'd be a little surprised if much of that's happening in illinois because our legal market prices are so damned high what would be the motivation to Mm -hmm. now you might see illegal product being sold on the legal market i don't know but that would there would actually be an incentive for that there wouldn't be an incentive for the other but yeah oregon there's oregon weed everywhere Mm -hmm. but you know they but they they did it in a different way and um yeah their numbers probably probably are better in terms of pure participation um i don't know that their numbers are any better
0: now (laughs) Sure. Over time. Yeah. I think they
1: they probably were better to start. They're probably not better now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so that's, I guess the other side of the, the token here is like, and I'm just calling it how I see it. I'm not taking a side on either side of the fence, but like, I get the sense that what you just, so what you just said is like, sure, maybe they got the license but are they still open today? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know what, his comment to that, because a lot of people did go out of business in Oregon, and that's what people point to as to why maybe you don't do it like Oregon. The prices fall, um, people can't make money, everybody goes out of business. Now his reply to that was, look, they knew what they were getting into, they had the chance, and if you compare that to Illinois, he said, Some people just didn't have a chance. And Toy Hutchinson herself said, you know, five, 5,000 applications for what was going to be 75 licenses. 99% of people weren't going to get them. And so like, I guess for me, what I've always been circling the drain on is like, so we've defined who qualifies as social equity, but is social equity protecting these businesses? Because like, back to your point of are those people if they applied years ago are they still in business well restaurants 80 percent of restaurants fail within five years but we're not talking about license caps or any sorts of protections for restaurants so like what are we doing (laughs) there's too many
1: competing priorities you know you're doing all of these things trying to prop up essentially you know prop up And centrally plan a market for something that is federally illegal, and that some people think is like more dangerous than plutonium. I mean, we talked about your average Republican congressman; they think a a a cannabis nug is is more dangerous than a fucking loaded handgun. So, Mm -hmm. so try try to reconcile that view with let's plan let's plan out the activities of this economy. Yeah. And, and somewhere, somebody probably might hear me say that and say, this is the reason why you go for the light touch, that kind of laissez faire, Mm -hmm. um, low regulation type of approach. And they might be right. They might be wrong. I don't know. You know, Oklahoma, people point to Oklahoma as being so great because it doesn't have any big companies. You know, they got people failing all over the place and, you could argue it's like out a bit, failing out of bit failing going out of business, um, and you've got, um, and that's natural. You can say that that's that might that's that's probably a good thing. Bad companies should go incompetently run companies, companies with bad products. They should suffer in the market and eventually, at, at the, the extreme, go out of business. Yeah. Well, it's not only about the strongest. It's if you're, why do you exist as a company if you're providing products that people hate? You True. know. It's, it's like, you know, you don't, then it's, it's just one of those things where people will only exist because you're there, you're, they're forced to use your product. It's almost like a rehab center, you know, yeah. like rehab centers, they only exist because government forces people into treatment. You know, I'd say half of them would probably go out of business if, uh, they didn't have that, that, uh, uh, cash flow, um, from forced treatment. And then the same thing applies here. If you're not providing something that people want, then you'd probably shouldn't be in business. But with the Oklahoma situation, you also don't want a situation where the government is taking advantage of people, charging them for a license that the government knows they can't translate into anything worthwhile. Right. Um, And I don't know that that's, I don't know if that is happening. I I don't know much about Oklahoma. I've, it's been a long time since I've been to Oklahoma, Um, but I I hear it's a totally different world.
0: No, but to your point, it is. It like From what I understand, I think I just read... That they have a moratorium on licenses, which means that the whole, the way that it used to be, what we're kind of referring to, I don't know how long that's going to last. And I also don't know how long that's been because I literally just learned about it. If you would have asked me like earlier this week, I would have told you that the way that it works is you can just literally go on a website, pay some nominal fee. I think it was like 250 bucks or I don't even know. It's not that crazy. And by the end of the day, or even by the end of the transaction, you have a piece of paper that says you can operate a cannabis business, which, so to your point, I I don't know. I, I'm kind of like, I think it should be that, I think it should be that way. Like, I don't know that the government should try to guarantee or safeguard, like, just because they gave you a license doesn't mean like, okay, we're going to make sure that nobody, right. You know, <laughs> we're going right. to limit other people. Sure.
1: Yeah. And if you ask me, especially on this issue, government, especially the federal government, has proved, it's proved itself to be nothing but dishonest and evil uh, as it relates to cannabis issues. So no one should trust, the certainly at the federal level, no one should, tr- should trust the federal government to do anything as it relates to cannabis. I wouldn't trust them to clean up the like waste material and turn it yeah. into animal feed, um, let alone anything else. Um, other, state state level, it's a little bit different. Um, there, there's a little more receptivity to it at that level. But um, it's, yeah, you, you have to ask yourself, like, what are we trying to do? And supposedly, like, this is one of those types of situations where state-by-state implementation allows the states to experiment with some things that work, some things that may not work. Um, Now, experimentation was not supposed to work um, the way it is where everything has to be done under federal illegality, where any organization attempting to operate is operating with two daggers in in each thigh because Mm -hmm. you can't get you can't. I mean, you can't get a checking account without paying thousands of dollars in fees for it. I mean, business checking accounts should be essentially like ten bucks a month or like free with a you know, with some with something else. Like it should be no fees, but you're getting these companies are getting just sucked with these huge fees. And then 280E is probably even worse, um, where it's just imposing again, using the tax code to uh punish any entity in this in this industry. Um, And then going on to it, you have all of the public stigma, um, the uh, inability to do any kind of transacting across state lines. It's just, that's just a nightmare. I don't know if that, that, that the laboratories of democracy were intended to work like that. Um, But supposedly, uh, you know, this is supposed to be how it goes. And then maybe we'll, we'll see which one works best um, and then kind of choose that one. Or maybe we'll just have a patchwork of 50 different markets the way it is and that's not so it's not great but it's not so different than the way anything else works we have 50 different sets of insurance regulations we have 50 different sets of bar associations mm-hmm. literally any professional certification is done at the state level so there are 50 different sets for whether it's accountants lawyers doctors engineers barbers uh architects and and, and go from there right. um so it's it is a uh uh it, it's an opportunity to see what works best in theory, but ultimately what we're going to get to see probably is, um, um, you know, a bunch of things that don't quite work the way we want them to because you've got this oh, this kind of uh, umbrella of federal illegality kind of uh, affecting the way you can really conduct this business. Like would the Oklahoma market would look different if those entities could get affordable bank accounts and weren't like getting just destroyed on their federal tax, um, liability. Uh, maybe there would be more companies surviving and they wouldn't be going out of business as much, yeah. you know, you can't, I can't blame, I can't necessarily blame companies failing on their bad products maybe, or even on like the, the laissez-faire attitude that Oklahoma has. Maybe it's just like federal illegality creates parameters that are too narrow for some, uh,
0: entities to survive. Yeah. Um, And, you know, one of the things with regard to federal illegality that David Lakeman mentioned is, um, you know, so I use this example for you in the past and and I use it with a lot of my guests. And uh, I know we've laughed about this because while we may agree in theory, obviously this is pie in the sky, but you remember the tomato model? Oh yeah, the tomato model. It's pie in the sky. Yeah, it's, it's pie in the sky. Right. It's the, the it, we can agree it's the end goal, but it, whether or not it's uh, achievable in this climate, in this day and age, yeah, it,
1: it's it's not it's not it's not useful to talk about it as though it's an alternative at the moment.
0: At the moment, <laughs> yeah. right? And so I used it though, when I talked to David Lakeman and one of the examples he gave is that well, you know, because of this federal illegality, that model can't apply because you know in some states that produce too many tomatoes like the price falls it's the oklahoma thing right or the the oregon thing oklahoma thing whatever both of them um normally you'd export right to deal and to kind of keep your markets in check and so he argued that if because i asked what the purposes of these limitations were Mm -hmm. and he said if there were any purpose it would be to he didn't say it exactly like this but to keep things in check so to your point it's like there's this overlaying thing we're trying to deal with and it was the cole memo which was formally rescinded by jeff sessions i actually just read the other day that attorney merrick uh whatever his name is merrick Merrick Garland, garland uh yeah he um said that they are working on reformalizing it because it's being honored in spirit right now. Yeah. Um, but it's not a formal memo that's in practice. I'm not going to pretend to totally understand this, but that's at least the gist of it. Um, of what I understood is that since Jeff sessions rescinded it, we're kind of just honoring it in practice. It's
1: it's no longer a formal standard operating procedure or formal policy, but it's still being carried out. Sure. On a, it, there's no there's no directive any uh, active directive forcing them to do it but mm-hmm. they are now just doing it that way yeah because yeah. the the Cole memo as far as i understand it, e- even if prosecutors wanted to go after state legal markets they did they couldn't as, lo- as long as the states could demonstrate that they were complying with those seven or eight points um but again i'm not a lawyer so sure we get out <laughs> yeah. of the let's get a, let's get out of the legal <laughs> tall grass while we can yeah um, but so
0: i'm i'm hoping they they deschedule if, if feds were to do anything because then it'd just be like, it would be like tomatoes. That would not be as much of a pie in the sky idea, but because of the controlled substances act, we just keep. And, and so speaking of that, you know, because I, I do have to, I would be remiss if I didn't critique the CRTA and I can acknowledge the progress we've made with it, but the, like my critiques with it. And you, you, I think, you know, because we talked about, uh, the statements I pointed to that Representative Ammons made after yep. the passage yep. of the CRTA. And my main contention with it is home grow, but it folds into what uh, a lot of what she had to say. So folks are wanting to see that video. It was right after the CRTA passed. She gave a speech. She basically talked about how the war on drugs would not end as it pertained to cannabis. Oh, and it's right. And she's absolutely right. Now, one of the points you've made is that at least the possession for low levels are no longer being enforced. Because that's basically all the CRTA did. It yeah. decriminalized that's, low levels. That's, mo- that's what
1: most state legalizations do. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're legalizing minor possession and legalizing sales through a license process arrests continue for selling outside of those le- outside of those licensed uh, channels um arrests continue for major possession which includes large amounts over the legal limit it includes around schools or whatever other yeah. types of in your car or whatever other places that that there might be restrictions um so yeah um, and that, that I, would be my main contention it's yeah, just that those it doesn't but go like far you enough. say
0: it's not it maybe it's not so unique to illinois but that would be my contention is that it doesn't go far enough and maybe you could even argue that it just Look, if you want to say that there are certain crimes for selling cannabis without a license, I guess I could be on board because there are certain crimes for selling a lot of food without a license. I guess I could see the analogy you're drawing and I guess I could say I'm on board. Um, But I almost like am trying to look for a way that it could make more sense. Like, so if I was caught with a, a large amount of cannabis, right? Just like if I was, from what I understand, if you're caught with like a large amount of cigarettes that you've bought from another state and you're exporting, yeah. you know, it's a it's a tax issue. It's not yeah. really a criminal issue. That's right. I mean, it could it could become that because of the you know, depending on how far you go. Right. That's <laughs> but that's how.
1: Yeah, it should be a business violation. Selling thing, without selling not a criminal. Yeah, violation. if I'm selling. You know, yeah. If 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 I'm doing anything, any type of activity without a license, they tell me to cease and desist. They might issue me a fine. They sure as fuck aren't gonna arrest you and throw you in and throw you in jail for it. Right. Um, You know, and that's and that's
0: I agree. We're throwing the wing of the government that can take away your liberty when it's like okay, maybe this is like a tax issue or something like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally. But anyways, we've been spider webbing. You got a uh, you got data that you want to dive yeah, back so into. so
1: we've got so among the many things we uh, we asked folks about, and can you see this by the way? Yeah, great. Yep. Um, is is their their job satisfaction? So just um, so you're talking about 4,000 employees, um, just what do they think about various dimensions of their jobs? And you can see, we've got a whole bunch of dimensions here, and I, I think probably should start with the average. Um, oh, this is, oh, that's taking a sum. So now I've got to work away from this. Let's just start with salary and wages. Um, so the important thing to remember about the scale is that four is neutral. Like, So is lower is, is more dissatisfied. Higher is more satisfied. Four okay. is essentially neutral. Um, and this is across all employees. Um, and we've got this color coded by when you go underneath the midpoint, you're starting to get into the red. Um and so, as you can see by racial groups, we're kind of at that middle point neutral um and then remember what I said earlier about um asian uh employees I don't know what it's this is just numbers you know there's this is a limitation to what you can learn from data, but this is like a three is, out of four, so you're trending towards dissatisfaction with uh salaries and wages, but let me just keep um let me con- contrast this.
0: What does MENA mean? MENA, MENA, MENA,
1: oh, Middle East, North Africa. Ah, thank you. So I'll go back to the salary wages. Yeah, M- Middle East, North African, um, and you can see just as like to like round out the point about um, kind of employees of the of the uh, industry who identify as Asian. Um, this is uh, the f- percentage of folks agreeing with the statements. I often think of leaving this company. It is very possible that I will look for a new job next year. And if I could choose again, I would choose to work for this company. So these are all intending to capture turnover intentions. So are you going to leave? Um, and But for both of these, uh, like, I'm going to leave types of questions, the average uh, for Asians was significantly higher than other groups. So you're talking over 50% um, or near, near 50%. Um, For Asians and then down in the 20s and 30s for others and then the same on this measure if I could choose again I would work for this company Um, Everybody seems to be above the midpoint except Asian employees. Um, So it's just that's just you know interesting Um, And there are a couple different ways we can cut this we can cut by race gender Um, I'll put this one up in a second distribution channel. This is the, the the students misinterpreted one of my instructions distribution channel means is it uh, a dispensary a corporate headquarters or a, okay. a cultivation center <laughs> they just use the, the the wrong term but that's okay um and then by college education um but we'll just look at the the job satisfaction with um because because this is helpful because you know it, it this is data so i'll give us a caveat that this is not this is not like a narrative this isn't like the story for what what's underneath the the data but it just gives you the data um you know understanding the why it may require a little bit more but um, if you look at elements of job satisfaction, like salaries, wages, you see we're at best average, maybe in some groups, trending negative. Um, I want to say retirement benefits gets us to that same place. These elements of compensation. Um, but let's look maybe at something different, like, uh, um, chances to help people. Like the, keep in mind the, um, the, the scale uh, tops out at seven here, four is neutral um seven is highly satisfied so everybody in every group regardless of their satisfaction with the compensation is satisfied with the element of the job where they get to help uh help others same with um let's talk about relationship with peers folks love seem to really enjoy working with their with the their, the peers in the in their um in the company um Let's talk about, uh, this is one I, I, I'm not sure that I remember. So things like, like, like the challenge of the job, you know, generally speaking, um, uh Mina, this is a small group, um, Middle East, North African, not that it's unimportant, but there's a small number of observations going into this, but you can see the people generally seem to like the work and the environment that they're in. The, the compensation figures, it's more neutral, um, I th- if I'm remembering correctly, I think promotion yeah, promotion opportunities were one that folks were not super impressed with either. So there's places sure. to improve.
0: I was going to ask you about that too, so that's good, it's so, good to see this.
1: So um, there are places to improve, but there are also a lot of, how would I put it? There, there are also a lot of positives. And I think I mentioned this to you before, and if I didn't, I, I should have. For a retail company, so retail industry, um, generally, if I look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, average, uh, mean wage in the retail industry is about $15 an hour. That's not starting. That's the mean, um, in this industry in Illinois, uh, is the floor, essentially. About 1% of people who reported a compensation figure reported earning less than $15 an hour, and I think some of them might have been contractors. So you're seeing an industry where, yeah, maybe people say $15 an hour isn't necessarily a living wage because of how expensive everything is, and they're probably right, but it pays better than a lot of other industries, particularly for um, comparable levels of education, comparable types of work. Um, so So there is that. Um, and we sliced this a little. So another way we slice this was just by, um, uh, the, uh, you know, what, what type of uh, entity do you work, uh, in, um, do you work in corporate headquarters, laboratory infusers? Um, we included that. And this is, since it wasn't anybody who's a new licensee, these are all people who are working, um, in like culti- essentially cultivation facilities, um, and then dispensaries, cultivation center, etc. cetera. Um, What you're going to find in this, um, let, let's just state the obvious corporate headquarters, the value, the pretty much all the values, if I remember correctly. So this is satisfaction with promotion opportunities. They're way above the midpoint. Anybody who's, I think I I computed at 4.5, you flip to green. So as as you're getting away from the midpoint and just into the positive territory, I'm just making you green. Um, they're satisfied. The folks in the, dis, the cultivation centers and dispensaries aren't unsatisfied. They're at the midpoint, so four. But the folks here in the corporate headquarters, they're they're satisfied with promotion opportunities. Let's look at um, wages. They're satisfied with wages. They're. I'm, I'm guessing retirement benefits. We're going to get the same thing. So working for these companies outside of what you'd consider the ordinary parts of the quote unquote cannabis space, just that corporate side, um, these appear to be pretty good jobs, um, in cultivation centers and dispensaries, you're not seeing negatives per se. Um, but with things like salary wages, we're get, we're, we're trending, not in the direction we want to be trending. Um, you know, at the same time, oh, this is a good one. Um, this is just, you know, I feel comfortable telling people I work in the cannabis industry. I'm proud of my job. Um, these are percentages, um, by the way, and five, the midpoint on this one is three, so four and five means you agree. I should have combined these two. So this is basically saying over eighty percent of people in corporate headquarters reported I'm proud of my job. Um, a little bit lower in cultivation centers, but you're at, you're still at about seventy percent and dispensaries. Um, a little over seventy uh, percent as well. So you're these these aren't necessarily um, bad jobs that we're talking about. These are actually quite good jobs given the replacement or the substitutes that someone could be looking at. Yeah. Um one that I'll come to here um that does deserve a little bit of uh, consideration and one that I'm interested in myself because it wasn't what I was expecting is that um the we divided this. This is dividing the questions, the sample on um whether you have 100 plus employees or under 100 employees um does that make sense so you got the big companies the small companies um so on this one you're kind of seeing employee satisfaction with retirement benefits um you know for the on, on this one at least the, they're they're but bo- i mean they're both in the same this one's descriptively higher the big companies the satisfaction's a little bit higher than the small companies if i did a test of these two i doubt they'd be they'd be different um but when you start looking, uh, maybe at um, some other elements, we'll look at um, we'll look at salary and wages. I would have expected the large companies to have higher levels of job satisfaction with salary and wages because I would expect them to pay more. Right. Um. In in this case, that's not true. And if I start breaking this down, promotion opportunities there's you'd expect the big companies to have an advantage. They don't. Um, uh, working with customers, they should both be good on that. Um, let's look at recognition from supervisors. Well, they're both pretty good on that. Um, uh, education and growth opportunities in all of these, as you, as you're seeing which one is, is higher, you're usually seeing it to be the case that, that folks are a little bit more satisfied in the small companies than in the large companies. Um, you know, if I could choose, uh, this, uh, if I could choose again, would I work for this company or not? Um, you know, you're seeing that they're kind of equivalent there, but the people saying directly, would I leave? It's possible that I will look for a job, um, in the future. The people in the, now neither group is very high, but the people in the larger companies are actually saying, um, they'd be more willing to leave than the people in the smaller companies. And that, and that goes again, back to that one company I mentioned, like they are really doing, they're a smaller operator and they're doing really well as it relates to, their employees level of satisfaction, how included they feel. And in general, it's probably a great place to work if I had to guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was really interesting.
1: Yeah. So, and, and so here's, here's the, if if we combine this across every, uh, and these are not official figures, these are just estimates our interpretation. The average um weight weekly wage across all this is across all employee levels, everything. It's basically the same between the larger companies, so the, yeah. the smaller companies. So those not a hundred plus and those that are a hundred plus employees. Um, and this this averages out to probably be about uh, like forty one, forty two thousand dollars a year if I had to multiply that. Um but yeah it's it's a yeah, salary satisfaction, satisfaction with your salary, right here. It's there's a big difference, and it looks like the smaller companies, although they're not paying more, um, their folks are a little more satisfied. Probably because it's 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 more of like a, a like more of an intimate environment. Um, you feel more so socially connected to the people yeah. you work for. Um, but yeah, this is this is um, a work in progress. There's so much here, and triangulating it out it suggests that the industry has a lot, a lot of work to do, but relative to a lot of other industries, it's actually not that bad. Um, in terms of representation at the, of, of different races at the, at the upper echelons, it, it's got to do better on the gender side. Yeah. Um, uh, it, you know, it, 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 could, it still has a ways to go, particularly as it relates to inter- integrating, uh, Hispanics, um, and Asians. Um, what
0: would the closest but, thing to it be for an analog like what what would you compare what this industry
1: yeah it's tough that's um, what I was gonna say probably because tough. what i what, what I do to to gauge as benchmarks I usually try to like separate the dispensaries from the cultivation centers use retail as a comparison for the dispensaries and use there are a couple different agricultural designations you can use Fair. to to compare the um uh the agricultural side and then for the corporate office um i haven't really benchmarked that yet because it's not it's that it's it's important but it's 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 a little it's it's out sort of outside of the cannabis specific uh operations you don't have to be an agent registered with the state to work for gti in their right. uh, in their accounting department for right. example makes sense
0: well, cool. Well, again, I know we're at the, at the top of our time, but anything else that, that you wanted to mention before we break, I really appreciate your time and uh, yeah, man, this is I'm going to have to look back at this. Cause there's a lot of numbers we went through today that like were very interesting. I'll have to look back and absorb them.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. I, I originally, I from what I was originally going to do, I really pared down the numbers because <laughs> it's there's there, there's a lot. Sure. There's a lot we can do. And then when you cross, you start taking the cross tabs of like, well, Let's look at percentage of not just blacks or bl- females but black females, yeah, or black males like the then the numbers get smaller and smaller, so it's harder to make reliable uh, interpretations of the data, but sometimes the insights can get um pretty interesting um and and just as like and and the other thing that I want to plug out here, um I am not lgbtq myself um uh, though i have made uh several public comments about how important it is for us to consider um and take a closer look at at this group because um you know as we look through this stuff about you know who's more satisfied who's less satisfied there are some dimensions where it you're you're looking okay you have know, salary wages um Uh, mentor, mentoring, um, customer satisfaction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, There are other areas where if we drill down into it, um, you're going to find that uh, LGBTQ employees, um, you know, don't feel as included in their, in their workplace. um, If the if there is any difference in satisfaction, it's going to be a little bit lower and it's important for us to understand why so many folks in us in one group are, selecting into this industry and possibly even hint hint um it might wind up uh, having to be a criteria for social equity um recognition as well if the federal government recognizes sexual orientation um as an allowable criteria then the state of illinois might consider doing so as well
0: yeah very interesting point well this will be the first time I broke the third wall uh today or the fourth wall. Is that what it is? Uh, wall? I think it's I the fourth know. wall. Yeah, fourth wall. Butchered it, but that's okay. <laughs> uh we well, hope you found value in this episode of the podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Justin, thank you so much for thank spending you. your time. Uh looking forward to the next chat we have. Uh maybe we can just go out for dinner or something sometime. So yeah that'd,
1: be, yeah, that'd be a good
0: idea. Cool. Maybe even a smoke afterwards. So, folks, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye.